someone the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America, sure don't look like much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Good morning. You're tuned in to Cybersecurity Radio Today with your host, John Bambanek, a new show on cybersecurity issues, talking about what you need to know, how to protect your family uh, and your children from cybersecurity threats. Coming to you on AM820 News, covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News, covering the Space Coast and Orlando. A little brief introduction about myself. Uh, I am work for a security company, Fidelis Cybersecurity, where I manage one of our intelligence teams. I also teach cybersecurity at the University of Illinois in the Department of Computer Science. One of my uh, passions is spreading knowledge of cybersecurity because it's important that people take charge of their own security, their own privacy. Uh, and certainly now we're all talking about these issues and we're going to talk uh, about uh, the Trump wiretap claim, some of the security implications of that, the FCC IS Internet Service Provider Privacy Rule. We're going to have a feature taking your questions on cybersecurity, how you can protect your family. If you want to reach out to us, get some more information about the show, ask us questions, you can find us on Twitter at, at CybersecRadio, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CybersecRadio, or email Radio at gmail.com. The Trump wiretap claims. Joining us now to talk about this is Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Schaefer, a retired Army intelligence officer, uh, to talk about some of these uh, Trump wiretapping claims. How are you doing today, Tony? I'm very well. How are you? I am living the dream every day. So uh, to kind of just jump right in, right? Uh, this story is now uh, a couple of weeks old, and you have uh, uh, you've had some commentary about this. What's your take on uh, the truth of these claims and some of the, uh, the questions about the House Intelligence Committee and things going on there? Well, first, it's absolutely correct. I mean, I think the New York Times, uh, while it tries to walk away from it now, accurately reported on the fact that there was wiretapping of the Trump administration prior to Inauguration Day. It's just it's just the way it is. So no one has knocked, knocked that down. I know the New York Times has tried to do an Orwellian change of the headline, which is kind mm -hmm. of interesting. But uh, And then there's other information that's been coming out little by little about the fact that uh, they had one Obama official admit yesterday, uh, on, or earlier this mm -hmm. week on MSNBC, that she was part of it. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's, it's beyond uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. It's, it's, it's confirmed as far as I'm concerned. The question now becomes the scope, the authorities, and the consequences of those actions. And I think that's where the investigation has to focus. And uh, let me say this very, to be clear for your audience. It's got to go both ways. You cannot simply look at Mr. Trump. You've got to look at the, the, the very direct financial connections between Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, Tony Podesta, and the Democrats on the Russians. So I think this is an issue, and I've said this before, bring it on. If you're going to do an investigation, you need to investigate both sides, and I think most roads are going to lead back to the Clintons. Yeah, well, and that's a fair point, and uh, I've always kind of found it particularly ironic, the calls of an independent investigator. Those always right. tend to spiral out of control and right. go into places that uh, the originators tend not to want in the first place. Precisely. And, you know, and, and probably 
the independent investigator against the Clinton presidency in the 90s is a good example of that. So right. uh, one of the things you mentioned, you thought this controversy, this scandal is worse than Wiregate. Why, why would you say that? Why do you, why do you think that? For two re- primary reasons. Watergate was essentially a cover-up uh, of, a, of, a, of a two-bit break-in, of a bunch of thugs mm-hmm. breaking into a complex. We're talking about, in this case, the official, very substantial, and largely classified mechanisms of, of the government being used in a political way. Mm-hmm. These national security tools are developed to protect the American people and our interests, not for a political party of either flavor to go and be used against the, their, their opposition. And that's what appears to me to have happened here. Secondly, and I think more important to the, the point, is that you have um, the, the Obama administration uh, thinking that somehow it could be above the law, that somehow mm-hmm. whatever they mm-hmm. did, th- there was no need for accountability. And, and I think that level of arrogance has to be something that people look at regarding the character of the politicians that people elect. I don't think we can afford that level of hubris and see the nation survive, because uh, if we allow this to go unchecked, we can be assured that we will both be on the path to a banana republic, and if we don't hold people accountable in this case, uh, if not now, then whenever. I mean, if, you, if they get away with this, then what, what, we just decide we're not going to prosecute anybody if they're mm-hmm. above a certain level. And that's what we're, I'm worried about right now. Well, I, th- I certainly think there's examples of that, people high enough given you know the ability to retire quietly or uh, any number of things and, and a lack of prosecution. Uh, even the Hillary Clinton emails controversies, there's Correct. plenty of examples of people who've gone to prison for that. They just didn't have the benefit of being Secretary of the State while they committed those crimes. Um, right. So moving on to the House Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee is actually talking about this this week, uh, but the House has been at it for a little while, and there's some controversy going on about Chairman Nunes, who uh, Democrats wanted him to step away and resign from the committee, uh, and part of it was, you know, he was part of the Trump transition team. Part of it, he had a meeting on White House grounds and then uh, announced some information he found out about that. Uh, you know, do you think uh, you know, his activities is proper? Do you think he's doing it right? Uh, or has he been making mistakes in your mind of how to conduct a proper investigation? Well, let me say this and be clear. This is unknown territory. We've never had the potential use of national-level assets against a political party before. So first off, there's no format. There's no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I know exactly why Nunez went to the White House. Uh, and I, after being a whistleblower myself, there's a number of categories of information that is not shared with the congressional uh, leadership. Only on a, on, on a limited basis, mm-hmm. hand-carried only, people read things, and then it's taken back to the executive branch. Those databases are not maintained in the House. And so when I see Maria Harp and others who have con- confronted on the air talk about, oh, there's a skiff. There's a secure facility in, in, in the House of Representatives in, in this capital. So what? That doesn't mean they're authorized to retain mm-hmm. what we could, would consider black operations information. So that's why Nunez had to go to the White House to look at that information and look at that database. He didn't go to the White House. He went to the old executive office building. So let's be clear on that because I'm, I'm fed up with both sides blurring what exactly that meant. That meant he had to go look at information that related to the, the central charge of wiretapping being the generic term. He was looking at data that supported the claim that president made in this database so that's the so there's nothing nefarious nothing mysterious no right or wrong he just had to go look secondly then that goes to the larger issue of how do you then break this information out to the american public in, in a responsible way without giving up sensitive uh, collection capabilities and methods that's what we're going through now and that's why the committee has to be very careful 
on how they go about revealing the, 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 the basic interrogatories without giving up capability. So he's doing the best he can, as far as I can tell, with what he's got. And the Democrats, are, are Mr. Schiff and company, Congressman Schiff, mm-hmm. are doing everything they can to be partisans, not investigators. So when I see that this call for him to, re, to, be, to resign tells me that they're not interested in the bottom of it. They're all about trying to cover up what their side did. And, and again, that's not appropriate. Okay, fair enough. Uh, there is one one particular detail about this I was curious of. I don't have a great frame of reference of how intelligence is, is handled. I, I've, I've participated in very small ways for what I do professionally. But in your 30 years of, of being a, an intelligence analyst in the intelligence community, have you ever seen uh, them intentionally kind of distributing intelligence in a more wide uh, audience for the purpose of more people seeing it to influence a future administration? The Well... This is a, uh, I don't want to say it's a trick question. It's, it's not a question that can, you can answer easily. Fair enough. Information is distributed widely within the intelligence community at various levels of, of, of classification. Uh, information at the, at the confidential level, secret level, is widely disseminated. Nobody has controls on it hardly. What we're talking about here is information that is normally highly restricted by the fact that it reveals information on U.S. citizens and their communications. That is forbidden. That is illegal. That is against the law. You cannot. Re- you and I can communicate freely, one on one. We cannot. There is no reason and no authority for the government to intercept our communications ever, unless there's certain uh, tripwires that are that are crossed. You and I having a conversation about what we're talking about on the air today, they can't do that. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the the unmasking of individuals who had no reason to be unmasked, and that those conversations, those private conversations, being shared. So that's the issue. All right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Stay tuned, everybody, to Cybersecurity Radio Today. We will be right back after these messages. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. You're listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Radio Today. I am your host, John Bambanek. Uh, last segment, you know, we heard from uh, Colonel Anthony Schaefer talking about the Trump wiretap claims. Two weeks ago, controversy started with President Trump suggesting that his phone calls were being tapped uh, at the Trump Hotel. Uh, during the campaign by the Obama administration, it set off a firestorm of accusation and investigations over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Colonel Schaefer uh, gave us some of the insight into that and how normally the intelligence community would behave, how these things come about, uh, and whether or not there was uh, unlawful surveillance. I think part of the problem uh, that uh, President Trump does when he tweets off on Twitter, even when he's correct and has a point, he usually makes it inelegantly so people can focus on words that he says or doesn't say uh, to try to disprove what he's saying. We saw this in the debates last year when he suggested that Secretary Clinton had acid-washed her server, her email server, and he was fact-checked saying, no, she didn't actually use acid. Well, no, uh, but there is a precision uh, that uh, is lacking with when the president communicates We're certainly in very irregular times in terms of things that we're seeing. I can't recall ever 
that a president or a president-elect or a presidential candidate has ever been under a counterintelligence investigation, which is a very different thing, I might add, from a criminal investigation, right? There may not be any uh, notion of a crime. Uh, Our intelligence services are always listening for foreign actors on U.S. soil. They don't need probable cause or anything like that. Uh, That's what these agencies do. Uh, And they look to try to figure out who within the United States may be providing uh, assistance to these foreign agents. Uh, Looking at that as if a a presidential candidate may be involved some way is unique and unheard of territory. And it's set off a lot of unusual things that nobody knows how to process. Uh, What is the right way to handle an investigation? I certainly think there's a lot of partisanship and a lot of politics being involved. Uh, We heard from our guest last segment about the calls for the House Intelligence Committee chairman uh, to step aside from his investigation, right? That's just naked partisanship. uh, That really doesn't help uh, the situation at all. But I think we're going to be hearing about this for months and months. As long as people can keep talking about this and distracting the administration from achieving the policy objectives that the other party doesn't want achieved, I think we're going to hear that. And it's kind of taken on a life of its own with conspiracy theories and things that can just uh, mushroom on and go on and on. And we'll be talking about this from years and years to come. So now I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Uh, Moving from the Trump administration, let's talk about your cybersecurity, your privacy, and what you can do. You're listening to Cybersecurity Radio today with John Bambanek, uh, and we're going to segue here talking about privacy. Got a question on cybersecurity? Ask Bambanek. Really? You sure about that? We're going to the feature of our show here uh, for social media where we take your questions on cybersecurity, protecting your family, something you see in the news. Any questions you want, feel free to send in. You can email that to us at johnbambanekradio at gmail.com. Tweet me at at cybersecradio or facebook.com slash cybersecradio. Ask anything you want. We'll answer some of those questions on the air. We can try to answer some of those questions in email, online, and on Twitter uh, as they come in. So starting with the first one, uh, Laura asks, what's your take on the CIA iPhone hack? Uh, What I'm guessing that she means is uh, about two weeks ago, Uh, WikiLeaks had published a trove of documents from the Central Intelligence Agency, among which were uh, something that purported the ability of the CIA to hack iPhones. Certainly, that's what the CIA does. They're an intelligence agency. They do surveillance. From my read of the exploits they had, uh, they required a measure of physical access, so it's not something they could reach out to the Internet and listen to your microphone. Um, Whether they were using it lawfully or not, you know, targeting foreign agents or targeting somebody in the United States, there's no real information there, but nothing really to suspect that this is part of some broad uh, surveillance program like we saw with the Edwards known disclosures from the NSA. I did want to point out one thing that Apple said is from these disclosures, they thought the vulnerability being discussed was for the iPhone 3 uh, or 3GS, actually, uh, that's already been patched and resolved. So even if for some reason you still had an iPhone 3, which is four versions of iPhone ago, you're already safe from this. So some of these disclosures are quite dated. Uh, We'll see what more WikiLeaks has to publish. I imagine they have something. 
But by and large, uh, these are uh, old data, so I don't think there's any real risks here. Uh, but certainly there is, you know, the question of whether our inte- intelligence agencies are using their power and their tools in a lawful and proper manner. We talked about that in the last segment. Uh, and we'll see if there's any more disclosures that indicate they are not doing that at all. Second question, right? Sticking on the Apple topic, right? There's been a lot of news with Apple. Uh, Brad asks, is this attack from the, quote, Turkish crime family uh, on erasing iPhones of hundreds of millions of iPhones uh, to be taken seriously? So there's a little bit of backstory. This group online calling themselves the Turkish crime family says they have access to people's iCloud accounts that they can use to remotely wipe iPhones. They're asking for $100,000 in ransom. Uh, from Apple in order to not release those phones. I, you can never say with 100%, but largely if somebody's demanding ransom in the public sphere, they probably don't have it. If they really want to get paid, they're going to do it privately. And the reason is if Apple pays this ransom to the Turkish crime family, everybody in the world's going to know that they paid it, which means every uh, two-bit hacker from, you know, Brazil to Dubai to China and Russia are going to be taking runs for their payday, too. The second is when you're talking hundreds of millions of iPhones, the ransom for that is much higher than uh, just $100,000. In fact, if whatever they exploited, supposedly, uh, they just gave it to Apple. Apple and a lot of companies will have bug bounty programs where if you report security problems, they give you money uh, for your time. There is a marketplace for this kind of stuff. We can talk about that in another show. But it's a way to pay security researchers to encourage them to do the right thing. They could have brought this to Apple and gotten that kind of money. This has all the telltale signs of a media stunt. If you're really concerned, change your password to your iCloud account. But really take a look at password managers, things like LastPass and other things that can help you have long and strong passwords that really make these kind of attacks hard to pull off uh, because there's a lot of problems with password reuse, right? If your iCloud password is the same as a password for, I don't know, some online banking website and some blog, then if somebody compromises a blog that doesn't have high security, they've got your email, they've got your username, they've got your password, now they know how to get into your bank without ever actually having to attack the bank. So really be mindful of your passwords. Use a password management to get into those really long and strong and hard to remember passwords. But having an automated tool really helps make life more difficult for the attackers and getting one password each. Uh, for every one of your sites. We're going to be changing gears here after the break, talking about ISPs and privacy, some laws passed in Congress that uh, you've seen a lot of headlines out there saying ISPs now can have your web browsing history and the like. We're going to unpack that with a lawyer from the Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation. You're listening to Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bambanek. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Babinick will be right back. Protect your computer. Run antivirus. Give me a systems display. 
Protect your data. It's all about the information. Protect your privacy. Privacy is a great concern to my customers. Welcome back. This is Cybersecurity Radio Today. I am your host, John Bambanek. Changing gears a little bit. Now we're going to be talking about this recent past week. Uh, Congress voted to repeal uh, the FCC privacy rule on Internet service providers. That's caused a lot of controversy and a lot of questions uh, out there about what this means for consumers, what this means for their Internet service going forward. Joining us to talk about this is Jeremy Glula, a senior staff technologist from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, They do a lot of work of privacy online generally. Uh, They have a lot of great tools. I'm sure that we're going to talk about them uh, as the show progresses from time to time. Uh, how are you doing today, Jeremy? Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. So let's talk Absolutely. about this, uh, the FCC privacy rules. What exactly did Congress do this past week? So uh, to understand what Congress did, we actually have to back up a little bit. So this past October, uh, the Federal Communications Commission passed a set of rules that would uh, prevent your internet provider uh, from sharing or selling your data without your consent. So this is normal stuff you'd expect, uh, you know, name, address, account information, uh, you know, if you had to provide a social security number to get an account, that sort of thing. But also uh, other things like your browsing history, what apps you use, basically things that they can only see because they are your internet provider. And so the FCC passed these rules. Uh, they were set to go into effect next, uh, this coming December. Uh, and then this past week, Congress uh, used something called the Congressional Review Act to essentially nullify them before they could go into effect. And mm-hmm. even more, uh, to say that the FCC cannot pass similar rules in the future. So assuming President Trump signs this, that means that the FCC is not allowed to pass uh, privacy rules uh, for Internet for uh, broadband companies in the future. Okay, fair enough. So, so what you mentioned, right, the, the rules haven't been in effect yet. Uh, they were going to come into effect uh, nine months from now in December. So uh, tell us a little bit, you know, what issues you take with, with this activity, and are there any consumer privacy protections in there? I mean, what does this mean in concrete terms of what your ISP can do? Totally. So the, what it essentially means is that you're, now your Internet provider has uh, – has a a free reign to spy on all of your traffic, uh, to try to insert ads into your traffic, to insert tracking headers, uh, the way Verizon did a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago Mm -hmm. with the Mm -hmm. Verizon super cookie thing. Uh, They can, uh, if they want to install spyware on your phone, pre-install it before you, because most people get their phones from their provider. Um, That could, you know, just, Bypass encryption altogether to report what websites you visit. So you mean uh, you mean cell phone companies, not well, yeah, cell phones, yeah, internet it, it, service so also. Be, but yeah, it's, it's, yep, exactly. This it, it applies to the AT and T's and Verizon's of the world as much as the the Comcast and Time Warner cables. Um, so that's I mean the that's sort of on the privacy side of things. On the security side of things, the thing we're really concerned about is that nowhere before has all of this information been collected. I mean, if you think about it, you know, a Google or a Facebook only sees part of your browsing, but your Internet provider sees all of it. And then prior to this, the only place your entire browsing history was stored was, you know, on your computer, in your browser's history. Uh, now, if Internet providers are going to be collecting and storing this information, uh, we're worried that this creates a pretty tempting target for hackers who want to, you know, 
get information to uh, embarrass or blackmail celebrities or politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen hackers break into people's iCloud accounts. Uh, I think we're going to be uh, unfortunately likely to see hackers now breaking into Internet providers uh, to try and get at people's browsing histories. Sure. Well, I, I would ask you a couple of questions, right? You know, from what I've seen from, you know, the ISPs and their their testimony of the FCC, right, you know, we can mm-hmm. debate whether they're being open and honest uh, about it. But assuming it's straight value, you know, what Google and Facebook do, I mean, they, they create profiles, you know, and use that for ad placement, you know, or is Comcast and AT&T and Verizon really going to be like, hey, you know what, I want to go buy Donald Trump's web browsing history, or, you know, we've seen some GoFundMes out there of people right. raising money to, I want to purchase Congress's web browsing history. That's yep. not really what we're talking about. We're kind of talking about this data mining, profiling, ad tracking kind of stuff that they want to get the ISPs and the cell, com- cell phone companies want to get their hands in, uh, like Google and Facebook do today. That's basically what we're talking about, correct? I think that's true for now. I mean, I'd, I'd uh, point out that, uh, you know, a little bit down the line, if, uh, if uh, a foreign government came to Verizon and mm-hmm. said, we'll pay you $10 million if you, you know, give us this person's uh, information, uh, what their browsing history is, there's nothing in the law that would prevent, uh, necessarily, uh, prevent Verizon from doing it. And we've seen companies do this sort of thing in the past. AT&T had a program uh, called Hemispheres, where essentially mm-hmm. they were profiting off their customers' information, giving it to law enforcement. Uh, it was basically a business for them, that they sold people's information to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And so there's no reason to think that they're going to treat uh, this browsing information any differently. Uh, well, that kind of brings me to another question, right? Is there uh, – it doesn't – and it's probably more of a legal question, right? The Wiretap Act of actually looking at the, the ones and zeros in the traffic. I mean, inserting cookies, you can kind of do that. That's more modification. But really doing uh, – capturing the traffic on the wire. Uh, is, doesn't the Federal Wiretap Act already make that a felony? So uh, I will preface this with with that mm-hmm. the fact that I'm not a lawyer, sure, uh, yeah. so I, I – can't speak to that part of it. Um, but what I can say is that they're going to be getting a lot of this information uh, from the metadata, right? Oh, yeah. You don't actually have to see the content of the web page that someone's viewing to know, you know, they're looking for skis or that they're visiting, you know, a, a, a clinic about, you know, a drug rehab clinic or something like sure, that, sure. right? It, it could be a wide variety of things. And so they don't even have to look at the content. They can just stick to the mm-hmm. metadata, mm-hmm. Uh, sort of bypass the wiretap act altogether. Yeah, well, and that's and that's fair. I think uh, you know I've made. I don't like the phrase metadata because you know, for instance, oh, they say metadata terrible. of your cell phones. Well, the number of the person I'm calling and when I call them is not the metadata. That's the data. You're just not having right, a conversation. Exactly. And and you make a point of DNS requests, right? If you go to Google.com. Yep. The session may be encrypted. It may be HTTPS. You see the little lock button in the top of your browser. But I know you went to Google. Well, you can pick any number of websites. And I kind of know what you're up to just based on what websites you're going to. So um, uh, tell us a little bit more about the EFF. Where can we find you and find some more of your information online? Sure thing. So the so the Electronic Frontier Foundation, we are a uh, member-supported nonprofit uh, we're a digital civil liberties organization, so we're a very uh, kind of weird combination of technologists like myself, people with a background in computer science, uh, but also activists and attorneys uh, who you know either drum up activism campaigns, we do uh, impact litigation, 
Uh, and we do a lot of things besides privacy. We do a lot on intellectual property, copyright, patent reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do things on government surveillance is actually a, a big part of our focus. As Jeremy Galula, Electronic Frontier Foundation. So uh, talking to us about uh, the IS- ISP privacy rules. Again, thank you for joining us, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. You know, it's a great segment that we just had, an interview. You know, a couple of things I do want to emphasize, right? You know, some of this is, uh, you know, a little bit of senseless fear-mongering, right? No one's going to be able to go to Comcast your cell phone. Hey, you know what? I want Bob's web browsing history. Here's $100. That's not the kind of market we're talking about. There is a lot of data mining that goes on to figure out ad preferences. There are certainly strong privacy implications to that. But as somebody who does investigations and intelligence for a living, you know, what I would rather have than your web browsing, I'd like to have your Google searches. If I had to pick one or the other, because that shows me what you intend to get, what you're actually looking for. And that's very useful information. But we're going to talk about privacy a lot. There's a lot of things that you leak online that people are using. So we're going to tell you how to protect yourself, keep that information on the wrap. This is Cybersecurity Radio with John Bambanek. Stay tuned. We're going to be talking about cybersecurity spending in the Trump administration here coming up next. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. You're back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. Welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with your host, John Bambanek. Transitioning now, great conversation with the Electronic Frontier Foundation talking about the FCC privacy rule. Uh, but we also have a government feature here on our show talking about cybersecurity policy, what our government's doing to keep our critical infrastructure safe, and what's doing uh, to keep our country safe. And now focus on government. My idea of a perfect government is one guy who sits in a small room at a desk and the only thing he's allowed to decide is who to nuke. Government is the problem. Cybersecurity. There's a new virus in the database. What's happening? It's replicating, eating up memory. Uh, what do I do? Type cookie, you idiot. Uh, a couple of things the Trump administration has been doing. They haven't fully uh, put out their platform for cybersecurity. Certainly, both candidates talked about it a lot in the last election. Uh, we're still talking about it in relation to hacking uh, of the DNC and uh, the related events that led up to uh, the presidential election. Right. One of the things the Trump administration focuses, uh, focused on in the campaign and uh, in some of the drafts of their policies is scoring agencies and making agencies accountable for the security of their systems and, by extension, our information that we give to the federal government, right? There's a lot of data that we do give to the federal government uh, with the IRS of our tax returns and financial information, a lot of health care information with the VA and Medicare, Medicaid, retirement with Social Security. Uh, certainly our military and intelligence community has information. The one thing that I focus on, and, and, and I've been asked about this of, of media and a couple of people, uh, because you know this, this idea of accountability seems kind of a, a clean water issue. Why would anybody disagree with it? But it's something that's really been lacking in the federal government. And I'll give you one good example, right? Our intelligence community, their job is to keep our secrets safe, to steal other nations' secrets also, but to keep 
our secret safe. You go back about 10 years, Bradley Manning, as a protest for a policy he didn't like, stole, well, now Chelsea Manning, stole tons of classified diplomatic cables and gave them to WikiLeaks, leaking classified information on the Internet. You know, a few years ago, Edward Snowden did the same thing to the NSA, leaked tons of classified information to WikiLeaks. Just this past couple of weeks, and we made reference to it uh, in one of the earlier segments, the CIA's hacking program, a lot of classified information was leaked to WikiLeaks. So these are three big egregious breaches of our intelligence community, highly classified information surrounded by tons of security spending, and no heads have rolled. Nobody has been fired that this information got out there because there really is a huge lack of accountability. There's a, you know, a culture that allows these kind of things to fester where nobody will say, you know what? We're going to solve this problem because my job is on the line. The Trump administration certainly believes that has to change, uh, and that's certainly true, right? If you're part of the office and personnel management where every classified um, application gets leaked to Chinese intelligence, right, somebody needs to get fired for that problem. And until we fix that, there's no real motivation to protect not just our nation's secrets, but to protect your information, what you may share with the federal government and just routine business of being a citizen. Which leads to another proposal, right, that the Trump uh, budget has come up with. There's a lot of cuts in there, which is, uh, you know, for another show. But there was uh, an increase in there to spend for the Department of Homeland Security $1.5 billion additional on cybersecurity. There's a knowledge that there needs to be more tools, more training more things that the federal government needs to put in place to protect our information, right? This is both a good thing, but also be something to be wary of, right? There are a lot of security tools, right? You need to run antivirus. You should have a good firewall and router in your home. Uh, The same is true for federal agencies, but there's a lot of products out there that don't deliver good value. But I will tell you one of the most important things is really security awareness, people being aware of how the adversary tricks you to doing things that undermine your own security. It's a point you're going to hear me come back to again and again, right? The individual person, the person whose hands at the keyboard needs to be empowered with the information so they make good decisions when somebody tries to deceive them to click on this link, open this attachment, go to this website. That's something that really needs to be focused on because then we really will be achieving good defenses uh, against the various criminals and intelligence agencies attacking uh, not only our government, but in many ways attacking you and your family. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. So transitioning here just a little bit. So one question I wanted to leave towards the end is what keeps cybersecurity experts up at night? What am I worried about as a professional in industry who who knows a lot about what's going on? You know, my kind of tongue-in-cheek answer is my wife just had our fifth child a couple weeks ago, so... What keeps me awake at night is actually my newborn. But while I'm up, uh, you know, trying to get him back to sleep, I devote a lot of time thinking about what 
they need to be worried about. And, and to be honest, what concerns me is less of the attacks directed against me as a person, but what happens uh, for things that are directed against my children, right? So there are a lot of online games out there designed for children, right? You know, these little web games of Legos and whatever. Uh, no chat, no nefarious, uh, you know, exploitation going on, but criminals will put these tools out there, put these games out there, advertise them so that they're Trojan horses. Your kids just want to play a game. They end up installing malware on the computer, uh, and it's used as, as a beachhead either to get to me or my financial information or doing uh, other things or, or, or trying to compromise their security in one way. Uh, I think last year a lot of people took notice that the, the director of the FBI, uh, James Comey, said that he keeps tape over the webcam lens on his laptop because uh, he's that concerned that his laptop's compromised. He doesn't want that web camera being used to monitor his home uh, and what's going on inside, right? So there's a lot of ways that, you know, criminals attack the point of least resistance and use that to uh, get deeper beachheads into you, right? So I'm really concerned about a lot of these new applications and new things that really are designed for kids. That, that, that's what uh, really has me concerned. I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but especially when it comes to not just computers and what they can do on laptops, but mobile devices. You know, there's new uh, techniques and things uh, and threats that never would have been uh, thought of as possible before. I can track somebody's movements if I can compromise their cell phone. I can't do that with a laptop. The sheer amount of information available on mobile devices, particularly Android, uh, which has some uh, made some design choices that increase risk that uh, those devices can be used as beachheads to go after people. You know, you hear a lot of talking about protecting the power grid and critical infrastructures, and certainly attacks that are successful against those would be devastating. Uh, but we have a lot of things in place to prevent that, and many of these devices really aren't kept online. Uh, it's certainly, we always like looking at the big threats. Uh, you know, people pay attention to plane crashes, even though more people die in car accidents. Similar thing, we look at these big events as if this is the one thing that we need to prevent, and certainly we do. But we really have to keep focused on the routine threats, right? criminals going after you, your family, your finances. Uh, they may, you know, try various attempts of exploitation, uh, particularly against young women. You know, I have, I, I have a young daughter now. I don't have to worry about it yet, but she's getting older. Uh, there's a lot of risk that young women face online, uh, and we don't really have any good tools to protect against that, aside of just keeping the line of communication open with your children, being aware of what they're doing and who they're talking to. So to wrap up, you know, we talked about uh, the Trump wiretap claims. We're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, had an interview with the Electronic Frontier Foundation talking about the FCC privacy rule and Internet service providers, what that means for you and your privacy of your web browsing history. Uh, and we are taking questions from you. If you have any questions you'd like right on the air or just answer it offline, feel free to reach out to us. You can find us online at facebook.com slash cybersecradio, on Twitter at cybersecradio, and you can email johnbambanekradio at gmail.com. So again, this is Cybersecurity Radio Today. I'm your host, John Bambanek. 
coming to you from AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. A special thanks to Bruce Maduri for helping make this show a possibility. Enjoy the rest of your day and hope to catch you next week on Cybersecurity Radio Today with John Bamba.